Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 77 of the new Ice City podcast. I'm your host, Vince McCogliano of the USA Today Network. And finally, after weeks of doing this podcast and saying, we'll see what happens next week, guys. We might be back. The Rangers might still be playing. They might not be. They kept things going. They kept the podcast interesting for a while. They kept the season very interesting for a while. But the season for the Rangers is finally officially over. They lost four straight to the Tampa Bay Lightning in the Eastern Conference Final, including Game 6 on Saturday in Tampa, which closed out the series and put an end to what was a great, great run, a memorable run that I'm sure all of us will never forget for the Rangers this season. And there's a lot to get into, so much to get into today. We're, we're going to have a jam-packed episode. You're going to hear a bunch of clips from different players that I spoke to on Breakup Day. I spoke to Chris Drury this morning on a conference call with the Beat Reporters, so we'll get into some of the stuff that he said. But let, let's backtrack a little bit here and start with where things ended for the Rangers on Saturday in Tampa Bay. You look at the way the game played out. The entire game it felt like the Rangers just didn't have much. It felt like they were being dominated. It felt like the Lightning were in complete control. But what happens? Frank Vetrano scores late to tie the game at 1-1 with a few minutes remaining. I forget the exact number. It feels like forever ago at this point. But little time left on the clock. The Rangers tie it. I think it was like six minutes and change. All of a sudden, you're thinking, can they really pull this off again? Is this possible? that they could have another one of these comebacks, another one of these games where it looked like you can count them out and the season might be heading for an end and now all of a sudden they have new life. But all it took was 21 seconds for the Lightning to respond. Steven Stamkos scores a second goal of the night on a breakaway. Igor makes the initial save with his glove, but he didn't hold it. And then the puck ends up bouncing off of Stamkos' leg on the rebound and going in, and that turned out to be the decisive goal for the Lightning in a 2-1 to win. Ultimately, to me, this was a combination of the Rangers playing a battle-tested champion and, quite frankly, the better team, and also the Rangers running on fumes. That is ultimately what I believe doomed them. They looked like a team that just couldn't get anything going in those last few games. Igor continued to be great. You have to give him a ton of credit. He certainly disproved any of the doubters that had come out of the woodwork when he had those back-to-back games in Pittsburgh where he got pulled. And funny enough, that came up in the conversation with Igor on Monday for breakup day. And he was like, you know, I don't think I played that badly. Everybody said I did, but it was, you know, some tips, some screens, some bad luck there. And he he was basically like, "I, I think that, I bounced back pretty well, and he did. He did, because you look at the way he played from that point forward for the final 16 games of the playoffs. He posted a 936 save percentage. I truly do not believe the Rangers beat the Carolina Hurricanes without him, and he gave them a chance in that Tampa Bay series when they looked like they had they had nothing. They had very little legs, very little stamina. They, they were clearly running on fumes. They, they looked shot. You look at the offensive production in those last few games. The final four games of that series, the Rangers only had one even strength 
goal. They could not muster anything offensively. They did not have nearly enough scoring chances, nearly enough offensive push. They weren't getting many power plays, which we know has been huge for them all season because they can convert them at such a high rate. But the combination of not getting enough power plays and not doing anything on five on five, they just couldn't score enough to keep up with Tampa Bay, even though Igor was limiting the Lightning and keeping the games close, the Rangers just were giving you no confidence that they were going to be able to to put enough points up on the board. And then you look at the injuries that were mounting for them at the end. Ryan Strom revealed to us this week that he's been dealing with a pelvis injury since late March. Some of you will probably remember a late March game against the Buffalo Sabres. Strom came out of that game early, missed the next few games, but returned. It was a pretty short absence. He told us, as often happens when we have these breakup days after the season's over, the team doesn't want to reveal injuries during the season. But a lot of times the players will take it upon themselves to to tell you what was really going on once the season is over. And Strom told us that he had been dealing with this pelvis injury for the last few months and playing through it. But there was game three against Tampa where Andre Palat gave him, it looked like just the slightest shove from behind. But you could see the way that Strom landed. It looked right away like something pulled or there was some kind of a sharp pain. He told us that those last few games, it felt like somebody was digging a knife into his abs. This pelvis injury, which may require surgery, we're waiting to find out confirmation on that. But Strom said he's waiting to find out as well, could require off-season surgery. He said it caused dramatic pain in both his abs and his groin. I had heard it was a groin injury, but you know, pelvis, groin, kind of same area there. So you know Strom was playing through that, and you know the drama that ensued with him starting game six but not being able to finish. We're, we're certainly going to get into to some of that stuff in this program. We know that Barclay Gaudreau, as I had reported a couple, I mean probably six weeks ago now at this point, but that he had that broken left ankle that he suffered in game one against Pittsburgh, and he said that that shot from Victor Hedman, I think in game three, hit him square in the very same spot, which he said was tremendously painful. So you know he was playing on an ankle that wasn't 100%. Ryan Lindgren told us that he was dealing with an ankle injury as well. I've heard it was a high ankle sprain. Very painful for him to get through. We know Tyler Mott was banged up. We know a whole bunch of guys were fighting through injuries during this playoff run for the Rangers. And that, combined with the fact that they played 20 games in a span of 40 days, a game, a playoff game, not just a game, a playoff game every other day for 40 days, beginning with a triple overtime game against Pittsburgh, don't forget, it wore them down. This is a team that has never experienced that for the most part. The vast majority of the players on this roster have never come close to playing anywhere near this amount of games. For the season, the Rangers played 102 games. And Tampa Bay coach John Cooper said it after the series. He he was very, I thought, respectful of the Rangers and really praised the Rangers, saying this team will be back. And he said for a team like that to go seven games in the first round, seven games in the second round, get no break in between either series, and then roll right into playing Tampa Bay where they went six games, he said you could just tell that they were worn down and, and that it ultimately – paid a toll on the Rangers and and was maybe the difference in this series. Although, again, I do believe that Tampa was the better team, even without Braden Point. 
the Lightning are just a little bit better than the Rangers right now. And it goes back to the five-on-five play and, and some of the obvious things that we saw in this series where the Rangers were at a disadvantage. And unlike previous series where the Rangers got great goaltending, the opposite team also had a really good goalie. So that wasn't as much of an advantage for the Rangers in that series as it was in the previous rounds. And ultimately, it leads to a loss. The positives for me are overwhelming. I think all of you should come away from this run feeling overwhelmingly positive about what this team accomplished this season and what you can look forward to in the future. It's been repeated many times. We've talked about it at length on this podcast before, but there is something about this group, the locker room chemistry, the clutch factor, the it factor, their ability to overcome any bit of adversity that is thrown their way. We saw it throughout the regular season, but to do what they did in the playoffs against Pittsburgh, to rally back from that 3-1 to one series deficit, to do what they did against a Carolina team that many people, myself included, thought was flat out better than the Rangers, for them to win those last two games in the fashion that they did, go into Carolina and dominate on their home ice for Game 7, that shows a whole lot of character, a whole lot of resiliency. And there is, there is something special about this group. I'm gonna, we're gonna, you're going to hear from some of the guys in a minute, but a lot of these guys are really emotional. They loved playing together. There is a closeness about this group that was unlike any of the previous three years that I've been covering this team. And that, to me, if they can, if they can keep that it factor, if they can keep that knack for finding all these ways to win – That's going to bode really well for them when they get back into these clutch playoff moments in the future. And of course, you have to feel great about what you saw from the majority of the youth on this roster. And when I say the youth on this roster, I'm including guys like Igor Shosturkin, who was outstanding in the playoffs. I'm including guys like Adam Fox, who got off to a little bit of a slow start, but I thought really ended up being one of the Rangers' best players in the playoffs. I think to me, the Rangers' three best players in this playoff run were Igor, number one, Mika, number two, and Fox, number three. I thought that those were the guys that gave them the most. I would definitely put Philip Heedle near the top of that list as well, given what we saw from him. Another young player that had tremendous growth really, I think, changed the perception of him, not only around New York and within the organization, but also around the league. Alexi Lafreniere, I think you can say that about as well. I think you saw a lot of signs of growth from him. You saw no intimidation from him. I think he's getting ready to potentially take off next season. Keandre Miller, certainly with the workload that he had, I believe he averaged over 25 minutes a game in the playoffs, and it was all hard minutes against the best forwards on the opposing team. You saw all of these guys step up in these moments, and that also bodes very well for the future of the Rangers. The questions now moving forward, and I've written a lot about this. I've done a lot of of end-of-the-season coverage already, although I'll tell you my mind is racing and thinking of all these other ideas that I have for the coming weeks and months, but I would definitely encourage everybody to go check out what I've written so far on lohacom slash sports slash Rangers but the question moving forward is, is where can this team get better? Because clearly they're not quite at that Tampa, Colorado level yet. They might be ascending to that place. And the message from a lot of the people that we spoke to on Monday was that the biggest thing for them is continued growth from the kids. And 
if you keep seeing Heedle and Lafreniere and Miller and Igor and Fox and other prospects that might be coming, whether it's young defensemen like Zach Jones, Nils Lundqvist, or young forwards like Brennan Offman, Will Cooley, whoever it might be, if they continue to get better, that is the Rangers' path to success, especially when you consider their salary cap situation and the fact that it's going to be really difficult for Drury to make big impact acquisitions to this roster given their cap space. I'm going to at some point, because I think it's much easier to read this than it is to explain it in a podcast form. So I'm definitely at some point in the near future going to do a really thorough breakdown of the Rangers salary cap situation because a lot of people have been asking for that. I think it's valuable. But just speaking in general terms here, of the players that were on the Rangers playoff roster, and I'm including the reserve guys like Dryden Hunt, like Johnny Brodzinski, because even if those guys don't make the final cut to be on the Rangers opening night roster next season, I think Hunt definitely will. Brodzinski could go up or down, but even if it's not one of those guys, the Rangers are going to need to promote players of a similar salary range to fill out the bottom of that roster. So I'm going with this number of 16 guys who are under contract for next season and the Rangers remaining cap space is about 11.8 million. So you've got 11.8 million to figure out what are you doing at center? Is it Ryan Strom? Is it Andrew Kopp? Are you going to go in a different direction? Capo Caco is a restricted free agent. Sammy Blay is a restricted free agent. I think Frank Vetrano is probably gone. I think he's going to be priced out with him being a winger and the Rangers' clear need being more in the middle at center. So I think it's, it's a long shot that Vetrano comes back. I do think the Rangers are very interested in bringing Tyler Mott back. If they can get him on a team-friendly deal, I think he only made $1.25 million this season. So if they can get him you know, a shade above that, I think that they would very much be interested in him as a bottom sixer for them moving forward. They need a backup goalie. So that, that 11.8 is going to get eaten up really, really quickly. So for the Rangers to continue to get better, it's going to be imperative that young cheap, controllable assets like all of these young players that they've drafted in the last four or five years continue to make an impact and continue to grow because that is the, I think, at the top of the list of things that the Rangers are going to need to get over the hump because they just don't have the financial flexibility to go out and make really splashy moves. Now, with all of that being said, does Chris Drury need to find ways to get creative? Is growth from the kids going to be enough or are there glaring needs for this team that he needs to find ways to address? And I've had a few conversations with people. I have a long list of people I'm going to be calling. I'm hoping in the next couple of weeks as we dive deeper into the offseason coverage and dive deeper into what the Rangers might do. But I've heard a couple different thoughts, especially when you talk to the analytical type crowd. And I, and I do think this is extremely valid based on what we saw. I just told you guys the Rangers only had one even strength goal in the last four games against Tampa is how can the Rangers become a better five on five team offensively? How do they become a team that possesses the puck better, which clearly they were not good in that area this year. They ranked in the bottom of the league in pretty much all possession categories. So how do they become a better possession team and how do they generate more offense at five on five? Does that mean that, you got to look for a legitimate top six piece somehow, some way. 
if you re-sign Strom or Cop, I think there's a certain level of confidence, especially in Strom's case because he's done it already for three years. But there's a certain level of confidence that those guys can handle playing second-line center. But do you need more? Do you need a more dynamic player? Do you need a guy who's going to create even more offense than what we've seen those guys are capable of? That's a, that's a legitimate question for the Rangers. I think you have to wonder what their upside is if they keep the status quo, and are they going to be a team that's just putting too much pressure on their goalie and getting caved in at five-on-five five all the time? Another route that I've heard certain people express is something that I think the Rangers could do, and quite frankly, knowing the way that Drury and Gallant think it would not surprise me, is you look at the way a team like Carolina is built, or even Tampa Bay. Those teams have certain lines that are driven by defensive-oriented players, specifically defensive-oriented centers. You saw the way that Carolina used Jordan Stahl and his line, with, which also had very good defensive wingers in Jesper Faust and Nito Niederreiter, but you saw the way that they were able to frustrate the Rangers. And especially when they had home ice advantage, that was the matchup they went to. It would free up their top-line players to maybe play against lesser talent, and it also then takes the best line for the other team potentially out of the game. So do the Rangers want to build a line like that? We saw the third line that they used in the playoffs mostly was the kid line, a lot of skill, but do they want to move those kids up into the top six and then potentially try to build a third line that's more in your face, more checking, more forechecking, more speed? So I think that that is a direction that you could look at the Rangers potentially trying to go this offseason as well. So very interesting to me to see what Drury is going to do. Now, we actually spoke to him this morning, and one of my questions for him was, which direction do you think this team needs to go? What are your priorities for the roster? Because last offseason, he was pretty direct saying repeatedly, we need to become harder to play against. We need to become harder to play against. And you saw what they did. They prioritized Barclay Gaudreau and Sammy Blay and Ryan Reeves and Patrick Nemeth. These were all players that they thought would make the Rangers a more physical, more intimidating, tougher overall team. So I was asking to see if I could get Drury to maybe say something similar so at least we know where his head is at going into the offseason and what he's going to prioritize. But this is Drury's style, people, and and I'm sure I've talked about this before, but we don't talk to him a whole lot. He definitely, I don't think, is a huge fan of talking to the media. You know, you get him talking not about hockey, really nice guy, but he, he does not like to reveal much about what he's thinking in terms of the roster or the construction or what direction they might go. I did write a takeaway story, which is up on the website now. So definitely check that out because he, we did hit on a lot of different topics with him. So I'm sure there's some stuff you're going to want to read about in there, whether it's Capo Caco or the other young kids talked about Panarin and Zabanajad and Vitaly Kratzoff. So a lot of stuff that we did hit with jury there, but he did not get into a whole lot of specifics. He won't talk about any specific contract negotiations wouldn't really tip his hand as far as, you know, Strom or Cop or whatever he might be thinking down the middle as the Rangers do look to add centers. He did say it's obviously a very important position and somewhere where they expect to sign someone, whether it's re-signing one of the guys that, that was here or going in a different direction. But he didn't hint at which way he's leaning. Now, 
I'm going to get into some of the stuff that I've heard over the course of this podcast because we're going to we're going to break things up a little bit now. We did on Monday for breakup day speak to not only Gerard Gallant but every lineup regular for the Rangers. Everybody who dressed for most games for the Rangers in the playoffs came out and spoke. I think we spoke to 20 players in total, which is a lot. So that's what I want to transition to now. I took three clips that I thought were very compelling and very telling in their own unique ways to kind of transition into some different topics. And the guy that I want to start with is Chris Kreider, who of all the players that we spoke to after game six and then Monday for breakup day, he was by far the most emotional. This guy cares so deeply and wears his emotions on his sleeve to such an extent that it was almost like like I felt I felt bad even asking him a question because I didn't want to make the guy cry. He was so torn up about this. And I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna play the clip now and then I'll come back and address it a little further. But I think hearing the the passion and even the sadness in Chris Kreider's voice right here, I, I think it'll be striking for some of you. It's funny like go on a great run like that and so many people reach out tell you you know how proud they are of you of your group um but right now it's things but it's it's hard to be proud you know a couple days after you get bounced like that so but i mean this this thing's important um we were just talking about when tampa lost the four straight to columbus and towards said uh, you know we've, we've created a monster so I think you know obviously we felt like we could have gone the distance but um, you know that's that sting is what's going to push us over the edge I think. is it special to you that what this Ranger team did in New York in the way it captivated the whole city and you guys were the story 100% I mean I, I've never I've never felt that kind of energy, even going back to my first few years when we were in conference finals and cup finals. Uh, I mean, after Igor would give up a goal, after a team would give up a goal, having the entire garden start chanting his name, I know that that pushed him, but I mean, we felt that on the bench too. Like that, that kind of support, that kind of energy. Um, the city was always behind us. Uh, when I was, you know, a young guy, and we were going on those runs, but uh, uh, that was that was something special. You know, that's that's not going anywhere. We'll be back. I mean, just such raw emotion from Kreider right there, and it was also pretty cool to hear him talk about the impact that it made on the team to hear all of you and all the support that you guys were giving them, especially in the Garden. That was one of the most striking things to me too. Was that when Igor would have a moment where he needed a pick-me-up, the crowd sensed it. And it was almost like you heard his name cheered. I mean, you heard it cheered all the time, but you always, once we hit a certain point in the playoffs, would hear it cheered after he gave up a goal. So it was the crowd's way of saying, hey, keep your head up. We have faith in you. 
let's go get him. So that that was pretty cool, and, and Kreider recognized that there. But he was after the game on on Saturday, and then again on Monday, tears welling in his eyes. Mika came into the room with him on Monday, and it was kind of something that everybody was joking about. Mika was like, "I'm here for emotional support." But there was something real and genuine about that, too. Mika knew that Chris was very shaken by this whole thing, and Chris was upset. And I think Chris had, had shortly before he came in to speak to us, I think he had addressed the team and delivered that message that you heard him deliver there about how Tampa responded after they won the President's Trophy in 2019 and got surprisingly, shockingly, really swept in the first round by Columbus and they use that as fuel to motivate them and propel them in the next few years onto the success that we've seen them have. And I think his message to the team was use this feeling. You should be hurt. You should be upset and make sure that next year we're better for it. And and that was a message that to a man, we heard pretty much everybody relay on Monday most players did not want to go into, hey, we need to get better at this or better at that. It was, we need to use this experience and be better for it. And Kreider echoed that, I think, more than anyone else. And I also think that Kreider and it also Mika was really emotional, especially Saturday night after game six. The veteran guys, it seemed to sting them more because I think they don't take this for granted as much. It's easy for all of us to sit here and say, well, the Rangers are so young. They've got all this talent. They're definitely going to be back. They should be back, no doubt about it. We would all be surprised if they're not. But Kreider knows that you can go years where you don't make the playoffs or where you don't go very far in the playoffs. He went from 2014 when the Rangers lost in the Stanley Cup final to L.A. And, of course, the next year the Rangers had a really good run as well. They made the playoffs also in 16 and 17, but didn't get as far. And then they went into this rebuild for four or five years. They went five years without appearing in the playoffs. And so I think it's devastating for guys like him and guys like Mika and Mika, especially because he's never been this far. He's gone his whole career. He's 29 years old. Now he's been in the league for a number of years, never came close to getting this far in the playoffs. So I think for those guys, it hits so hard because they know that they have a limited number of years to play in this league, a limited number of cracks at it, and they might never come this close again. They were two games away from the Stanley Cup final. So I think there's something to be said for that as well. We're all going to sit here and talk about the Rangers should be back. I'm sure I'm going to write about it in a variety of different ways in the coming months and maybe even in the coming years. But let's not forget that none of this stuff is guaranteed. And the Rangers just went further than they had been in any season since 2015. So, and a lot of teams will go a lot longer than that, but between conference finals appearances. So it it, it struck me that these guys were so emotional. And again, it also speaks to how tight they were. And Kreider kept talking about this too. He was getting choked up every time the locker room was brought up and how much everybody cared. And he kept talking about the winning culture. Everybody bought into winning. He kept talking about how nobody in the locker room did things alone. They always did things together. The coaching staff did everything together and the players did everything together. It was like everybody felt included. Everybody felt a part of it. And he expressed 
that he really felt that that fueled the Rangers to get as far as they did, that they had this tight, these tight-knit relationships in the locker room. That might seem like lip service. That might seem like not really the most tangible thing, but there was this extreme closeness about this group and you're going to hear it as well in the next guy that we're going to have a clip from here. And that would be Ryan Strom. Strom is in a different position from Kreider. Now he's been in the league for a number of years as well, but Strom was getting emotional for other reasons as you're about to hear. And that's because he is about to be an unrestricted free agent for the first time. And he knows that it's far from a guarantee that he's going to be back. Now you're going to hear him express how badly he wants to get back. And then I'll be back after I play this clip to, to dive into the, the details on all of this. But I, I, I thought it was really pretty moving to see Ryan Strom speak in this way as well. You know, obviously my heart's here. I think the last four years I've, uh, you know, tried to pour everything into this thing on and off the ice <clears throat> as much as I could. And, you know, Whatever happens, happens. I, I can't predict the future, um, but all I know is that I love these guys, and I think we have some unfinished business, and this team's destined for great things in the future. So, um, you know, we'll see what happens. It's it's a little emotional, honestly. It's uh, it's a great group of guys, and hope there's more. There you heard Ryan Strom, who has become such a part of the fabric of this team in the last three years, especially, I mean, I've only been around the team for the last three years. I know he was traded the, the season prior from the Edmonton Oilers, but you've seen him evolve each year as far as his leadership, his role in the locker room. He really is the guy, I think that probably the number one guy that teammates go to, to loosen things up, lighten the mood, but also for guidance when it comes to preparation a couple of the guys spoke about him and said that he's got that great blend of knowing when to sort of make people laugh. And he's got a really bubbly, funny personality. I especially, I can just say this as well, really appreciate the way that he's dealt with the media, with us in my time here. I've actually voted him as, as the good guy for the good guy award three years in a row. I, I guess I can reveal that. The Good Guy Award goes to the guy who is most cooperative with the media, most helpful with the media, the guy who kind of gets it. And, and Ryan absolutely gets it. He knows that we have this job to do. He knows that communicating with the fans is important. I think he takes an interest in it. I think he's always really thoughtful and candid with his answers. A lot of, you know, a lot of people are very guarded with what they say. Strom is more of a straight shooter. My first year when we had locker room access, he was a guy who I found myself gravitating to a lot because you knew that you would get good, solid answers. And he was usually available. He was around. He was willing to talk. And, and that's all very much appreciated. And I think he's the same way with his teammates. I think he's a guy that a lot of people lean on. And a lot of people, especially Artemi Panarin, who came out and said that as well on Monday, would hate to see go. The question for the Rangers, Strom is making it very, very clear that he wants to stay. But... As you guys know, and Strom confirmed this with us on Monday, they had some contract negotiations during the season. Now, Strom said that he found himself getting a little distracted by that. He found himself thinking about it more than he would have liked to. The deeper they got, the more involved he got, and he just didn't think it was good for him. So maybe that's why they pulled the plug on the negotiations. But I also think there were differences from what I've heard, and, and I've reported quite a bit on this in the last few months, there were some differences on where they were at with the contract talks. 
I've been saying this since November. The Rangers wanted him at an average annual value as close to $5 million as possible. I think the max they were probably willing to go from what I've heard is about five and a half. So I don't know if the money was the holdup. I think maybe more likely the years were the holdup. Strom said, he, he made a point of saying this the other day, that he's hoping it's not a short-term contract, his next deal. He doesn't want to have to worry about free agency again. His last deal with the Rangers was only two years. I think he wants something more long-term than that, which you can't blame the guy. He wants some security. He's got two young kids, and he's at the age where you want to maximize your value. So I don't think anybody can begrudge him for that. But from the Rangers' perspective, do you want to commit, let's say, five or six years to this guy and pay him into his mid-30s? Is that the best way to go, especially going back to that conversation that we had about the issues generating offense at five on five and whether they need an upgrade in their top six. So to me, the fact that they didn't get the negotiations done during the season, I think that was Strom's best chance to guarantee that he would be sticking around. I've gotten the sense that the Rangers are very, very much exploring different options now. And I've also gotten the sense that an option who at least you know, let's say around the midway point or so of the playoffs, Andrew Kopp, to me, had moved ahead of Ryan Strom in their preferred pecking order. Kopp, we also spoke to on Monday, and Kopp made it clear that he's got a lot of factors that he's evaluating and considering before he makes the deal. He did say he'd like to come back, but he was also quite honest. Kopp is also a pretty straight shooter, He was also quite honest about all of the things that he's going to consider before he signs his next deal. He said he would prefer to play center. He said it's not a deal breaker, but he would prefer to play center. So I think for the Rangers to sign him, he would, it would help their cause if he knew that he was going to be the second line center. He said, listen, if I'm going to a team that has three elite centers and they want me to play top line wing, that would be appealing as well. But I definitely have heard this from other people that, In Winnipeg, he bounced around the lineup so much, played more third line than anywhere else, that he wants a little more stability than that, and he believes he's a top-six guy. I asked Gerard Gallant the question the other day, and he said, we believe he's a top-six guy as well. Chris Drury had great things to say about him today. When I brought up Cop, Drury said, big picture, he's been a great fit. And I found it interesting that he he used the term big picture because I think the Rangers do see him as a big-picture guy, Drury once again brought up the versatility, not only that he can play multiple positions, but how good he is on face-offs, penalty, penalty kill, and power play. He can do it both. He's a, a bigger, more physical player than Strom. I think the Rangers view him as a better defensive player than Strom. So I think if all things are equal, especially because you did see offensive production from Cop, he was more productive than Strom in the playoffs, although in Strom's defense— Strom was dealing with this pelvis injury and playing through it. And let's give him a lot of credit for that because some players might have said, you know what, I'm about to be a free agent. I'm not going to risk making this injury worse when I have a payday coming around the corner. Strom tried to gut it out for his teammates, and that I think also speaks to his character. But Kopp was more productive than him in the playoffs, and Kopp was over a point per game in his regular season time with the Rangers. So I think the Rangers are very interested in bringing Cop back. I do believe that they're going to try to negotiate with him. I know I know they have had conversations with him already. And I think, same as Strom, 
they're looking for that five to five and a half million dollar range. Now, could they say goodbye to both of them? Do not dismiss the possibility. The Rangers are going to be looking into trades. They're going to be looking into free agents. They're going to explore a variety of different options. I think one of the things that I would be on the lookout for, two names you're going to hear a lot. Let's just get this off the bat. JT Miller from the Vancouver Canucks and Mark Shifley from the Winnipeg Jets. Both of those guys are very, very legitimate top six centers, big-time point producers, would, I think, give the Rangers more of that five-on-five offense that we say that they need. Those guys would be upgrades for sure. The Rangers could look into trading them. I think they're going to be names. Those are going to be the names you probably hear most frequently. But I don't, at this point, get the sense that they are really, really super hot on the trail of either or that their teams are necessarily going to trade those guys. Also look out for the Rangers to maybe go a little bit younger, cheaper, cost-controlled, all that stuff that we talked about that's going to be important for them, and use some of their young prospects to go and make that happen. The blue line specifically, Nils Lundqvist, Zach Jones, Matthew Robertson, the Rangers don't have spots for all of these young defensemen on their roster. Braden Schneider, I don't believe, is going anywhere, but those other guys I think are all very, very much available And if the Rangers could use one of them, plus something else, plus a draft pick, whatever it takes to go out and get a center who they believe can help them, I I think they're going to do that. And it might be a name that's not so much on the radar. Free agents is probably less likely. I think some of the big names out there, whether it's Malkin or Bergeron or Kadri, those guys are probably going to be too pricey for the Rangers. Now, if they could get I mean, I don't think Bergeron's leaving Boston. I don't know what Malkin's plan is going to be. I mean, if they could get one of those guys with a deal, a short-term deal with a number that starts with a five per season, of course, I think they would consider it. But those guys, I think, will probably end up being pricier than that. A guy I've mentioned on the podcast before, and I wrote about this week, if you're going to target any free agent, I think Vincent Trocek from the Carolina Hurricanes is an interesting name. He made under $5 million this season. He's obviously going to get more than that, but how much more? I don't know. Could the Rangers get him at a number that starts with a five? And this is a guy who's excellent on faceoffs, brings a lot of speed, which I think is an area the Rangers want to address. Good four-checker, can play special teams, both power play and penalty kill, was a second-line center for Carolina, which has been a great team He's a guy that I think is intriguing depending on his price point. But again, the point of this is there's a lot of options. If I'm ranking them right now, I would think Cop is probably a slight favorite, but I'm not dismissing the possibility of the Rangers going elsewhere. And because of how passionate he is about staying here and the relationships that he has in the building, I wouldn't completely rule Strom out yet either. I, I do think he's probably... A long shot, and you know, I can also, I can also just to kind of paint this picture for you guys, tell you this, which also speaks to the guy's character. After the press conference, Strom, and he was the only player who did this. Not this is nothing against any of the other players. This isn't expected, but after the press conference, Strom went around and shook every media member's hand in the building and and thanked them for the coverage. So, that, you know, in some ways, again, that speaks to the guy's character, but it also tells you. 
he's not sure if he's going to see us again anytime soon. And he said that. You heard him say, who knows what the future holds. So he, he I think, was emotional because he knows there's a chance he's not coming back. And, you know, that's kind of sad for him. It's sad for guys like Panarin and other guys on the team that you know have gotten really close with him over the years. Anything can happen. You know, the contract negotiations could break down with Cop. The Rangers might not find another trade partner that they like, and maybe they do come back to Strom and find agreeable terms. But I wanted to play that Strom clip just to to go a little bit deeper into the kind of guy that, that he's been for this team, touch on him playing through the injury with free agency coming up, which I think was a really gutsy thing for him to do, and then just talk about this whole second-line center thing. Because that is, if you're making a list of priorities for Chris Drury this summer, figuring out what you're going to do at second line center has to be right near the top of that list. For me, it's number one on the list. So that I think will be the most pressing decision. And then a lot of other dominoes might potentially fall. So with that, we're going to get into our final player clip here. And this one is going to come from Capo Caco. You guys may have heard some stuff's going on with Caco in the last week, a little less than a week. And so we're going to hear from Kako about his reaction to getting scratched, the first healthy scratch of his career for game six against the Lightning on Saturday. And then I'll come back to share some thoughts on that. I don't know. It's it's never fun when you're not making the lineup. So wasn't so happy about that, of course. Will the fact that you didn't play the last game have anything to do with what you decide to do on your next contract you, you know is this going to be part of your decision I don't think so I don't think so I like to play here so I don't think so does it does it give you a, a different feeling going into the summer than maybe you would have had otherwise I think maybe a more motivation you know like I want to show like I'm better than that like you should put me in the lineup like I got, I'm a good player so I think that's the thing. All right. So you heard from Kako right there with his reaction to getting scratched for game six, as well as his thoughts on what this might mean for him as he heads into his first summer as a restricted free agent. Now, let's backtrack to Saturday. I'll paint the picture for you guys and and let you know how it played out and, and what I saw, because I know a lot of you read my story, my pregame story that day, and it seemed to generate a lot of, let's say, feedback because I think people were shocked that Kako might be scratched, which is what I wrote about prior to the game. And I'll tell you guys how I connected those dots and and the fallout from there. So the morning of the game, I'm in Tampa on Saturday, got a message from someone saying basically not to be shocked if Kako got scratched. And so my antenna went up and I, I had always felt that if anybody from, if they wanted to break up the kid line and if anybody from that line was maybe in jeopardy of that, of the three guys, given what we saw from them in the playoffs, Kako was the most likely, especially because we know that Gallant wants speed and forecheck, speed and forecheck. And those aren't necessarily Kako's fortes. So the team takes the ice at Amelie Arena in Tampa for the morning skate. Kako's among them. A lot of the veteran guys, you know, were taking the option and not skating for morning skates in the playoffs. 
as we left the ice, the guys are still – a lot of the guys are still out there including Kako. And then we go and we talk to Gallant and we spoke to a few players. So the arena pretty much at that point as far as reporters and everything goes clears out. But I always like to stay behind and do my work in the arena for a few reasons. I like to get my story done as quickly as possible so that I can get it to you guys as quickly as possible and so that I have as much free time in the afternoon to you know, go find a nice place to eat or work out or go to the pool or whatever. So I hang around also because you never know what you might see or who you might run into. And what I notice is that the regular guys who you know are going to be in the lineup – are all leaving early, which always happens. They leave, they are the first guys to leave the arena. Even if they take the skate, they come off the ice quickly, they get ready, and they go. The guys who aren't going to play stay to do extra work because if the Rangers were to keep winning or advance or whatever, they want those guys to be in the best shape possible in case they do have to get plugged into the lineup. So those guys will always stay and do bag skates and extra drills and shooting and all kinds of extra work. So... All the regular guys leave, and I'm still hanging back and writing. Again, the arena is pretty much empty. And I start noticing the reserve guys, the guys that you know are going to be scratched, leaving. And a lot of them are kind of leaving in, in, in groups or small groups, but they're all leaving pretty much together at the same time. And so, no offense to these guys, but when you see, when I saw Capo Caco walking out with Patrick Nemeth, and Julian Gauthier, and Johnny Brodzinski, and Greg McKaig, those kind of guys, the guys that you knew weren't going to play, I'm like, well, I had heard that there's a chance he might get scratched, and now I'm seeing all these things this morning that are leading me to believe that, yes, he is not going to play tonight because he stayed back with all the scratched guys to do the extra work. So at that point, I don't want to report it definitively because you're never going to know definitively until they do warm-ups, but I wrote in my story Interestingly, Kako left late with all these guys. He stayed to do extra work, and that seems to be a sign that he might not play. Which, as we found out later that night, after some ins and outs, you know, Strom comes on the ice, looked like he was going to play. Then he comes off the ice for warm-ups, looks like he's going to be out, looks like Kako might come back in. Then all of a sudden, Strom comes back, Kako's back out. The Rangers waited until the last minute to announce who their final scratch was, but it was, in fact, Kako. And even though... I had seen all these signs and was anticipating the possibility. It was still a shocking development for, I know not only me, but but pretty much everybody I've spoken to. And I'm sure a lot of you felt this way because I saw your reactions via Twitter and email and everywhere else. It, it was surprising to me from a few different standpoints. First and foremost, if we're just talking about the game, right? And Gallant told us on Monday, this was a hockey decision. This was him making a decision that he felt would give the Rangers the best chance to win. And again, having been around Gallant pretty much every day for the last, I don't know, nine months, I wasn't, I knew that he wanted more of the speed and forecheck and physicality that he felt you would get from a guy like Dryden Hunt versus Kako. But, Let's be real. This is no disrespect to Dryden Hunt whatsoever, who I think for his role as a fourth liner can be a valuable player. But the Rangers had scored one even strength goal in the previous three games leading into game six. Offense was a glaring issue for them. And nobody can sit here with a straight face and tell you that Kako is not a better, 
more capable, much bigger upside offensive player than Dryden Hunt. You need to score goals to win the game. And taking Capo Caco out of the lineup in favor of Dryden Hunt does not help that cause. So even though I, I had a feeling of why Gallant was going to make that move, I still didn't think that it made any sense from a hockey standpoint. But then if you take a step back and you think big picture, the concern has to be what kind of a message is this sending to the player himself about your belief in him? If you are going to scratch him for an elimination game in the playoffs, this guy was the number two overall pick in the draft. He is supposed to be a major part of your future. He is supposed to be a player that you're building around. To take him out of the lineup for such like a short-sighted reason, in my opinion, it, it's taking a risk for no reason. We've seen also what's happened. The recent history, we can't, we can't ignore it. We can, we can take it case by case, which I believe is the right way to do it, if you want to talk about Leas Anderson or you want to talk about Vitaly Kratsov. But the reality of both of those situations is the relationship's fractured between the player and the organization – and they ultimately, in Anderson's case, had to trade him for a second-round pick. And in Kratzoff's case, have had all this unnecessary drama swirling around. He thought he was going to make the team at a training camp last year. He was disappointed when he wasn't. He felt he wasn't properly communicated with about the plan. He refused the assignment to go to the AHL and went back to Russia. The Rangers didn't get even a sniff of him all season, especially when they were dealing with injuries and probably could have used him. And... Listen, they had a great season without him, no doubt about it, but the fact of the matter is this is the guy who you took ninth overall in the 2018 draft and has barely played for you, and you, you still don't know what the future holds. So even though we know Kratzoff just signed that one-year deal to extend with the Rangers, it's still no given he's going to be on the team next year. I'm, we're probably going to talk about that later in the show. I'm sure I'm going to get some Twitter questions about it. I want to make this more about Kako than Kratzoff, but the point being there's been breakdowns in communication with these young players and it's had poor results for the Rangers. And those seem like lessons that you should learn from as opposed to repeating the same mistakes. And I found it somewhat shocking then to also hear from both Gallant and Kako himself that nobody explained this decision to Kako. Now, People can say, oh, it's pro sports. If you're scratched, nobody owes you an explanation. Be a big boy about it. I get that. But at the same time, number two overall pick in the draft, a young kid who you know his confidence is important to him playing his best. The last thing you want to do is mess with his confidence. At the very least, take him aside and say, listen, you know, Dryden gives us a little more speed and forecheck and physicality. And just for tonight, I want to give it a try. It's nothing against you. You know, we like some of the stuff you've done in the playoffs, whatever you're going to say. But Kako said the way that he found out about this decision was by walking into the locker room and seeing the lineup hanging. And as of Monday, still nobody had explained to him why he got scratched. So a head scratcher for me all around. With that being said... I wanted to play that clip from Kako because I do believe that he is the type of person. And, you know, his first season, I spent a lot of time around him. This last two years, last year was Zoom, this year's press conference settings for the most part. I have run into him in the arena a handful of times. And, you know, we, we, sh we shoot the you-know-what for a little bit. But 
my impression of him is that he's a dude who doesn't like drama. He's a dude who I think takes things in stride really well, never seems to get too emotional, always seems to have a level head. And you heard in his answer there, he kind of brushed off the question, which came from Larry Brooks, by the way, about – and was a good question. It was a question I think we all want to, an- want to ask about will this affect – your next contract? Will this affect the way that you handle this summer as an RFA? And Kako, I think, very matter-of-factly was like, no, no, I like to play here. He, he did not seem to make an issue of it, at least not publicly. And I thought he also said the right thing on the follow-up question when he said, if anything, he's going to be using this scratch as motivation next year to prove to Gallant that he deserves to be in the lineup. So, I think Kako coming out and saying that cooled things off a bit. And I also think that Drury coming out earlier today and, and really emphasizing he, – he wasn't asked specifically if he had talked to Kako, but he wanted to bring it up I think for good reason that he had a conversation with Kako on Tuesday and that they left on good terms and that he expects him to be back and ready for next season. That tells you that – at least as far as what we're hearing from these guys, it doesn't sound like this is necessarily going to cause a rift. It doesn't sound like this necessarily means that Kako is going to be gone. Now, would it surprise me if the Rangers included him in trade talks? No, it frankly would not. But I think the odds at this point are in favor of him being back next season with the Rangers on somewhat of a reasonable contract. I think a bridge deal in the $2 million or so a year range is what I've heard is maybe a likely outcome. A lot of people have asked me about the offer sheet possibility, and I want to really stress this. Anything can happen, of course, and if teams smell blood in the water, if they think that there's any reason to believe that Kaka wants out and would be willing to sign I'm not going to sit here and 100% rule it out. But remember this. In the last eight off-seasons, there have been two – I'm let's count that – one, two offer sheets that have been signed by a restricted free agent. In the last eight off-seasons, that's an average of once every four years. For whatever reasons, whether it's NHL GMs not wanting to step on each other's toes or create animosity as we've seen happen with Montreal and Carolina, which are the only two teams that have done this in the last eight years because they kind of went back and forth sort of holding grudges against each other. Maybe NHL GMs don't want to get into that. I I don't know all of the exact reasons. It is kind of peculiar, quite frankly, but the fact is it just doesn't happen very often. So history tells you the chances of Kako signing an offer sheet are extremely long. I've heard that so far. The Rangers don't seem overly concerned with it. The Rangers are downplaying this whole thing. They don't seem overly concerned that Kako is upset with the organization or anything like that. So – I would I would cool the Jets a little bit on on making bold predictions that he is going to react to this by saying I want out. I I don't think that's where they're at right now. I do think for all the reasons that I outlined that it was a highly questionable decision on Gallant's part. And Drury when he spoke to us today said, "Listen, I support him. I trust his decisions, but he 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 said the right things to to support Gallant, but he also didn't come out and say I think it was the right call, which 
I think was sort of walking a fine line pretty well if you're Chris Drury because he supported Kako, he supported the coach, but he didn't he didn't say something that maybe would have risked throwing Kako more under the bus by, you know, coming out and being like, I think that was the right decision. He shouldn't have been in the lineup. He did not say that. He supported the coach, but he did not necessarily say, I think he made the right call. So he walked a fine line there. I think he's doing a little bit of damage control and obviously made a point of speaking with Kako one-on-one before he left to go home to Finland. So I think this is something to keep an eye on for sure. I think the Rangers made a mistake by scratching him, but I also don't know if you really need to be sounding the alarm bells at this point. We'll see what happens, but for all the reasons that I just laid out, I I think for at least now, we're going to sort of wait and see, and I do expect the Rangers to be trying to negotiate with him in the next few weeks to get him an RFA deal as quickly as possible because – the longer you let it linger, the more you, you, you run the risk of a potential hiccup or, or problem down the line. So that's where things stand with Kako. And with that, we're going to transition from this segment where we went and heard from some of these key players and, and, and heard from some clips and stuff that I thought were interesting from Breakup Day. And now we'll transition to the final segment, which is going to be your Twitter questions. Okay, so for the final time this season, let's do it. Let's get into your Twitter questions. I picked out three this week that I'm going to answer before signing off here. And we're going to start with one from Richard Derrick, who wrote, Was the coaching slash management shakeup the right call? This is a big question, Richard, and I think it's it's a good one to address on the podcast and one that has almost gotten lost a bit with all of the other stuff that's going on with the Rangers this, this year. Let's not forget that last year the organization was turned on its head. Team President John Davidson, General Manager Jeff Gorton, Head Coach David Quinn all fired, and it really became the Chris Drury show moving forward as he took on the role of both president NGM, and then hire Gerard Gallant to coach the team. It's, I'm going to give you a multifaceted answer. I don't know if it's a straight yes or no, although I do think that given the results, and at the end of the day, this is a results-oriented business, given the results, yes, it did work out. It does look like the right call. Now, the huge caveat here is, as I know I addressed both in written stories and on the podcast last year, I fully believe that both John Davidson and Jeff Gordon intended to do with this roster what Chris Jury did, which was to round it out, to balance it out with some grit, with some toughness, with some experience that would help guide the younger players on the roster on this kind of a playoff run. So I... I have never been of the belief that Gorton was just going to ignore that aspect of the game, ignore the way that the Rangers were pushed around by teams like the Islanders and the Capitals at the end of the season in twenty in the year 2021, it's hard to say, but at the end of the previous season, which led to their firing. The, the perception around the league is that those guys were fired, at least in part, because 
the Rangers, with all their young talent, weren't tough enough and didn't make it to the playoffs and, and didn't do enough physically to hang with some of the best teams in the league. But I have heard this from multiple people in the course of the last year plus, and that is that this was absolutely part of the plan. Last season, many of you will remember that the Rangers, because of the flat cap, didn't have a whole lot of maneuverability and were trying to give the young players a chance to grow. They felt like they could maybe push for a playoff spot last season, but it wasn't necessarily an expectation, and they felt like they were still a year away from being at the point where they would really want to fully go for it. So, to me, the firings are still highly questionable from that standpoint because you look at Gorton's track record here, you could certainly point to some missteps, but he, he hit on a whole lot more than he missed on. And you look at this roster and the way that it's constructed now, it has his fingerprints all over it. The vast majority of the players who are on the team right now were brought in by specifically Jeff Gorton. He was here, we know, much longer than John Davidson was. So Gorton, I think, had done a good job as GM. I quite frankly think that Chris Jury believes that Gorton did a good job as GM because look at the roster that he inherited, and, and I've never, never been of the belief that they had this blind spot to adding a player like Barclay Gaudreau or someone of that ilk that clearly the Rangers needed. Now, Jury took a lot of heat from a lot of people for the moves that he made in the offseason. And yes, of course, the Pavel Buchnevich trade will always linger, especially if he keeps producing as a point-per-game player in St. Louis, as a highly questionable move. We still want to see what Sammy Blay turns into, and Sammy Blay certainly moved the Rangers in that direction of becoming a harder team to play against. And we know that had the Rangers held on to Buch, they would have been in a spot right now where they would have been very, very, very hard-pressed to sign him. They were not in a position to invest long-term in a winger given the much, much clearer need that they have at center. So I definitely think there's a case for having kept Booch around for one more season and then said goodbye to him after that. It would have definitely stung to let him hit free agency and lose him for nothing, which is what the Rangers probably would have had to do. It's not like they were going to trade him at the deadline given the success that they were having this season. But if you had him on this roster, if he was the right winger on that top line, does that put them over the top against Tampa? Probably not. But does that make them a better team? Certainly. They would have been a better team if they had Booch on the squad this year. No doubt about it. But... I don't think that they, the the reasons for making the trade were completely invalid. I, I know that the concern was they weren't going to be able to sign him long term and that if they kept him, it would have been basically as a one-year self-rental. So they made the trade in part because they wanted to add Blay to, to keep going with that harder-to-play-against mantra and in probably larger part because they saw the writing on the wall and knew that they weren't going to be able to afford Booch long-term. So we can pick that trade apart all day long. It's revisionist history, but it is part of, of Jury's track record at this point as GM. But the other things that he did, 
You could point to the the summer with Gaudreau and Reeves, and those weren't major, major impact moves. I do think Gaudreau had a pretty major impact, not only on the ice, but very much in the locker room and the way that he carries himself. And the winning culture is a real thing. You guys heard Chris Drury. We talked about this earlier in the show. Developing a winning culture here is a real thing, and Gaudreau and Reeves have both been big parts of that. But I think Drury's work over the offseason was was sort of doing the stuff that I think everybody, including Gorton, already knew they needed to do. Where Drury, I think, distinguished himself more was at the trade deadline. He had an excellent trade deadline no matter how you slice it. Now, it stinks that you ultimately had to lose a first-round pick for Andrew Kopp because of the conditional aspect to it. When the Rangers made the Eastern Conference final, it triggered them having to surrender a first-round pick as part of that deal. But I think everybody's fine with that given this run that the Rangers went on, and you'll feel even better about it if they do, in fact, re-sign Kopp. But Kopp, I think of all the available options, was probably the best fit that Drury could have targeted. Vetrano looked like a steal, played on the top line for them. They only had to give up a fourth-round pick for him. Tyler Mott was an excellent addition. And even Justin Braun, who didn't play all that much in the regular season, when Patrick Nemeth struggled earlier in the playoffs, that showed you the value of having a guy like Braun to turn to. He was not outstanding in the playoffs by any stretch, but he was an upgrade over Nemeth. And the Rangers being able to have that in their back pocket was important. So I think he was the least impactful of the four trades, but each of those guys made an impact. Drury went four for four at the trade deadline, and that is certainly a feather in his cap. He took advantage of the cap space that he had and the maneuverability that he had, which he won't have moving forward. And I think all in all, you have to give him a pretty high grade for his first season at the helm. Gallant, I I think as well, we've talked before about questions. I wrote about this a little bit in my five question story that went up earlier this week. I do think he had some trouble navigating the matchups in the playoffs and you want to see him show that he can play chess against the best coaches in the game in crunch time. So I think that that is something that he'll need to prove moving forward. I also think that it's going to be imperative for him to put more faith, put more trust and give more ice time to the kids Because even for the stretches when that kid line was playing really well, this is before Kako even got scratched, I just didn't think he was giving them enough ice time. I thought he was sheltering them way too much. So there's definitely some things you could point to for Gallant where you'd like to see him improve for next season. But all in all, 110 points in the regular season, making the Eastern Conference final, his impact in year one is undeniable. The players loved playing for him. And his experience, his steady hand, his keep things the same every day, his ability to let the players police themselves and stay out of the way and keep them calm and composed, that rubbed off. That is, I think, a major reason why the Rangers were so resilient, why the Rangers had this it factor that we talked about. I think the coach's even keel demeanor, never too high, never too low, was definitely different from Quinn. The way that he stayed out of their way and didn't micromanage them, I think, was definitely different from Quinn, and we saw that it had a very positive effect. So my long-winded answer, Richard, is that yes, I think that Jury and Gallant did a good job and made an improvement, and then from that standpoint, you could say that this was the right call, but I also still do believe that had Jeff Gorton been here, I'm not of the belief that 
the Rangers wouldn't have been able to do what they did. I still think they were heading on the right track under Gordon before all this stuff went down. So that that is my, again, my long-winded answer to your question. All right, let's go to the next one, which comes from Dylan, who wrote, in your opinion, what is the best, most realistic lineup for next season? Forwards, defense, and goaltending. So this is a complicated question because I'm still a little bit up in the air as to exactly what I think the Rangers will prioritize this offseason, but the wiggle room is limited. And that's why it, it would be no surprise to me and it should come to no surprise for any of you if the Rangers that we see next season are very similar looking to the Rangers that we just saw on this playoff run. A lot of the free agents are going to go. So that's just the reality of the situation because of the salary cap. I think of the free agents, the most realistic guys that they could potentially bring back would be Andrew Kopp and Tyler Mott. I think they would let the other free agents go under those circumstances. And then, you know, making the lines is a little difficult, but I think getting back to giving the kids more responsibility If you went in that direction, I would like to see the Rangers promote Lafreniere, possibly promote Kako and or Heedle into the top six because those are the kind of players that they are. We saw it in the playoffs. Those were arguably the Rangers' best players at generating offense at five on five. And for the build of this team, I think it makes the most sense to have at least two of those three in your top six along with Panarin, along with Zabanajad, along with Kreider. So will the Rangers stack their top line? We've talked about this for years. Will they finally, especially if Strom is gone and they don't have that Strom-Panarin connection to fall back on, will they finally try Panarin with Zabanajad? That is something that I think needs to be explored. Would that mean that either Kreider or Lafreniere would shift to right wing? That's another thing that I think needs to be explored to maximize the potential of this roster. And then would you think about Philip Heedle as your second line center? Because getting back to the whole shutdown line thing and the, the, the clearly defined roles that we know ideally Gallant and Drury want, Heedle makes more sense as a second line center to me. He's a skilled player who, while he made improvements defensively and especially, I think, on it with his forechecking and his backchecking, I, I don't know if he's going to be a guy who you're going to want to put on a line that you're expecting to shut down another team's top line. Now, could Andrew Kopp be that guy? Andrew Kopp has a very strong defensive reputation, very strong on faceoffs. You definitely trust him in defensive start situations. Maybe you could build a third line around Cop and Goudreau, maybe Tyler Mott, who we know is an excellent forechecker and a strong defensive player. And then Sammy Blay is definitely one way or another going to be an important part of the bottom six next season. And I think you're really looking forward to him coming back from that injury and being healthy and seeing what he can do over the course of a full 82. They're going to need another center. Does that mean re-signing Rooney? Does that mean another cheap free agent? Because if they sign Cop, they're not going to be able to afford much more as far as center. So do, do they go in that direction? Is there another cheap alternative out there who makes sense? Or, as I touched on earlier, can you parlay 
one or two of your defenseman prospects and whatever else into a younger, cheaper center who has some upside. So maybe you could find a center who brings some of those defensive shutdown type qualities or even a little more offense that you could plug in somewhere in your bottom six. Can they find somebody like that on the trade market? I think one way or another, even if they re-sign Cop or Strom, they're going to need to find at least one other center who can play in their bottom six, whether that means bringing back Kevin Rooney or going in another direction. And so that would be five spots if you figure Mott, Gaudreau, Blay, and two centers, Heedle, Cop, and or whoever else. Then there's basically one open spot in your bottom six. Can Brennan Othman take that role or Will Cooley? Are either one of those prospects ready for NHL minutes? I think that's very much to be determined at training camp, but those guys, both Othman and Cooley, are coming off of great seasons in the OHL and will be in camp with the Rangers, I can tell you that. Where does Vitaly Kratsov fit in? This is a huge question mark now, and I know I got a lot of questions on that, so I'm not going to read anybody's question, but I will address Kratsov a little bit right here. The Rangers signed him to this one-year deal, which I don't think is shocking. I I think it also does not necessarily mean he's going to be on the team next year. You guys have known this for a while. I've reported extensively on the friction in that relationship and Kratzoff preferring to get a fresh start elsewhere. But I've also told you guys repeatedly that Chris Drury, while he is definitely going to explore trades for him, is not feeling any pressure to jump into anything. This contract gives him a little more leverage because he's not, he's no longer a restricted free agent. Any team that you're trying to trade with now knows he's under contract, knows exactly what he's going to cost. And I think from jury's perspective, if he can find a deal that he likes, I still do believe he'll do it, but he does not have to force anything. And we've seen him draw his line in the sand He did it with Jack Eichel. He's done it on a handful of other occasions. So if he doesn't get something that he thinks is valuable in return for Kratzoff, I do believe that he'll hold him. And if it comes to the point where training camp is starting, all indications that I'm getting are that Kratzoff does not want to continue creating a perception that he's a problem. So he's going to come to camp. And I think he would do it and would try to, get off on his best foot and do his best to make the team if it came to that. So I would not rule it out. I think Drury is not going to be forced into a trade. And if it comes to September and a trade hasn't been made, they're going to invite him to camp and he's going to come. I don't think he's going to say no. All indications that I'm getting are that he would come to camp. So it's looking a little bit more likely right now than it did however many months ago, that maybe we will see him in a Rangers uniform again. But I ultimately still believe that a trade is a very, very real possibility. I just don't think the jury is going to be pressured into anything or create some kind of an arbitrary deadline that says he has to be traded by this point. I think he's going to shop him around. He's going to see what the market looks like, see if there are better offers than what he was getting prior to the trade deadline. If there's something he likes, he'll do it. But if not, the Rangers will hold the asset. At this point, for them, I think it makes sense to hold the asset. And if he comes to camp, does he have a spot on this roster? That's going to be fascinating to watch. So maybe, maybe, maybe Kratzoff fits somewhere in there. I'm not counting on it, but it's not something we can dismiss at this point either. 
And then, you know, you'll also have guys like Dryden Hunt and Johnny Brodzinski, who I think will be around as sort of depth pieces and could be used in a fourth line role, I think, if needed. Hunt did that plenty this season, and the Rangers had plenty of success with that. So Hunt is probably a less sexy option for you guys, but he is still under contract and I think will be competing for a fourth line spot. So that was a long-winded way of saying that, but I, I think the most realistic option is that maybe the Rangers prioritize a couple of their free agents. I would put Cop and Mott at the top of that list. They let the young guys play more. They see what they have in the prospects. They get Sammy Blay back, and they go from there. Do they need to make a more extreme move? Do they need to shake things up more than that? That's a very, very interesting and valid question, and, and that will be another point of fascination this summer. The decor, I don't think you're going to see any drastic changes there. I think you're going to see the same five guys in Lindgren, Fox, Miller, Truba, and Schneider. For me, I would not spend any unnecessary money on defense. You want to bring in a veteran on a sub $1 million a year contract, that's fine for depth. I think that makes sense. But I would give someone like Zach Jones a very real chance to earn that job out of camp. I can't see going and spending on another player like Patrick Nemeth, which quite frankly did not work out for them, and now they're going to have to try to find a way to move him, whether it's trade or buyout, to, to clear a little bit of salary cap room because otherwise he's kind of dead weight for you right now. So I don't think – they need to go out and try to do something like that again. I think just let the kids play. You got all these defensemen prospects. Let them compete. Let them figure out who's the best man for the job. Let that player step in, and then the other guys you look to move in a trade. And then the goalie thing, it's Igor and whoever. They're going to sign some cheap backup. Georgiev is pretty much gone. They can't afford him. So I haven't dived into the goalie market too much yet to this point, but it's going to be a, a cheap back up. They're not going to be able to afford anybody who's more than a million dollars or so per season. So that's what I would expect with that. All right. Final question comes from Chris Morin who wrote, what was your most memorable moment of the season? There was a lot of them, Chris, but I think I would have to come back to game seven in Madison square garden, Rangers, Penguins, end of the first round, Rangers are losing late in the game. They've had three games in a row that are elimination games. My feeling at that point was they've tried their luck too much. They dug themselves into too deep of a hole. I had my whole story written as I told you guys that they, the season was over and that they went out against the Penguins with some disappointment. But then Mika Zibanejad scores that incredibly clutch goal at the end of the game to force overtime, and Artami Panarin seals it from there. And the Garden, that was certainly the most berserk and crazy and loud and just amazing atmosphere that I saw all season. So I think of all the memories, that Game 7 in the first round where the Rangers completed the improbable comeback after being down 3-1 to one in that series against Pittsburgh— to me, that was probably the most memorable moment because you get the clutch goals at the end of the game, because you got the home crowd into it, because it was the first real playoff series that I've ever covered, and because of the gravity of the comeback. So that would probably be at the top of my list, but there's so many. I mean, that playoff run alone was, was just like a blur, but at the same time, everything is still so vivid. And the regular season feels like it was years ago at this point. But it was also a pretty good regular season, if you guys remember as well. And I was just happy to be back out there, happy to be interacting with you guys again, happy to be traveling again. 
it was an amazing season from so, so many standpoints. And with that, on that note, I want to thank everybody sincerely from the bottom of my heart for following along all year. I think the coverage, I'm proud of it. I, I, I loved every minute of it. I tried to do all the things. I always try to think of it as somebody who grew up loving sports and loved to consume all kinds of coverage as a kid. I was always running out to grab the newspaper to read about all the local teams. I try to think about it from the standpoint of what would I want to read or what would I want to listen to if I was a fan of this team or if I was trying to follow along. And that's what I try to give to you guys. I try to give you guys the stuff that I I as a fan think that I would enjoy. And I hope that comes through. I, I hope you guys appreciate it. I, I pour everything I, I, I have into this. I love doing it. I've got a million ideas for the offseason. I keep having this internal battle with myself where I'm like, okay, you need to take a few minutes and breathe here, relax. And I have been spending really quality time with the family in the last few days, which has been amazing. But I also do have this constant tug of I want to do this. I want to do that. I've got a long list of of names and people that I want to call and check in with. I've got a long list of story ideas, all this stuff that I will get to at some point in this offseason, I promise you. And that's just because I love it. I love doing this stuff so much that I, I can't help myself. But I'm also going to try to take a little time here. I think as far as the podcast is concerned, I'm going to take – I think the next two weeks off, I will keep you guys posted. I'm definitely going to do stuff around the draft and around free agency, which is like the first two weeks of July. So we're definitely going to be cranking out some podcasts, I think, for the month of July. But I think for the rest of June, I am going to take a step back with the podcast. I'm not going to write. It's actually my birthday on Thursday. Brian Reeves was talking about how tough it is to turn 35 the other day. I don't know if you guys saw this in the press conference. And I was like, hey, man. I'm about to be 35, so, so I'm going to see if all the creaks and struggles to get out of bed and stuff that he was talking about actually happen. When you turn 35, I'm going to enjoy some time with the family, going to see some friends this weekend that I haven't seen in a long time. All my buddies have been giving me grief about, you know, you're like a ghost. We never see you anymore. So definitely going to enjoy a long weekend here. I'm going to be back next week with some stories. So written content, you guys are still going to see stuff popping up. I've got a lot of different balls in the air right now. A podcast, I think I'll wait till maybe end of the month, early July, probably let's say take two weeks off before I'll come back with a new one. Again, I appreciate you all so much. You all have been amazing. You have made this such an enjoyable ride for me. I hope it's been the same for you. I hope you've enjoyed every minute of it, even close to as much as I have. And with that, I thank you. I thank you. I thank you. And I will talk to you guys soon.